everyone. Wazoo here from the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. Yeah, this is a special edition, quote unquote, episode. We didn't plan on doing this one, and I'm flying this one solo. My co-host Colin is currently moving, so I thought I would do a quick episode because it turns out that it is coming up fast to my birthday. Yeah. And so I thought a neat idea would be to see what classic stories landed with a episode showing on my birthday and pick from those. As it turns out, there's only one story which has an episode that originally aired on my birthday, which is November 3rd. And that happens to be part of Tom Baker's season 17, which went from 1979 crossing over into 1980. I guess you could say this was almost peak Tom Baker. I don't know. Uh, Depending on who you ask and which part of the fan base you listen to, this was the same season as the Horns of Nyman, which is always always a fan favorite. Uh, But we'll talk about the season a little bit before we talk about the story that we're going to be covering tonight. So from the outset, 17 was supposed to follow the same format as the previous seasons with five four-part stories and one six-parter closing off the season. However, there was unfortunately a BBC union strike involving the technicians, which impacted the latter half of the schedule, forcing Graham Williams to cut the unfinished Shada from the schedule entirely. Yes, this is the Shada season, infamous Shada season, which I have as yet to see. It is still not on BritBox, but that is another story. It would later appear in animated form in 2017, as I just kind of said. Released on video, Uh, some recorded elements from Shada had survived, and they were later used in the 20th season celebration story, The Five Doctors. The famous boating scene between Romana and the Doctor, or with the Doctor and Romana. Uh, So season 17 was also a special year, as it turns out. 17 was Graham Williams' final year as producer of the show. 17 was also Douglas Adams' last year as the script editor. It was the final year of music by Dudley Simpson, who, I don't know, I think he did like 500 years of Doctor Who. Well, okay, maybe not, but I mean, his music was always incredible. Let's see, 17 was also the final season of Tom Baker's iconic amazing tunnel intro sequence for the credits Uh, it's i don't know i uh, whenever i think of tom baker that's definitely the intro sequence i think of i think it the imagery is so striking having that tunnel corridor uh, view of the doctor who theme i thought it was totally awesome the starfield one that they replace him with replace it with worked really well with peter davison i thought but i wish i kind of wish they had just waited for Tom Baker to regenerate before bringing in that new intro, but whatever. Obviously, what's done is done. (laughs) But the the Tom Baker tunnel intro was just amazing. It was so different from everything. Uh, 17 was the first season of Lala Ward playing Romana 2. She regenerated off-camera between 16 and 17, and 17 had David Brierly voicing K-9 instead of John Leeson who then returned again the next season, I believe. And the story we're going to be doing is Creature from the Pit. Yeah. 
This is another fan favorite. It was written by David Fisher, who was also credited with The Stones of Blood, The Androids of Tara, and The Leisure Hive. So Stones of Blood and Androids of Tara were just back in season 16. And Leisure Hive would be the first one being broadcasted in season 18. Uh, Creature from the Pit was also the last Doctor Who story directed by Christopher Berry. We'll get into some juicy gossip a little bit shortly here. Uh, it was the first story produced with Lala Ward as Romana 2, though it wasn't the first story broadcasted in the season. Quite a lot of tension behind the scenes during this story, with a few things coming to a head all at the same time, which I think created a little bit of a perfect storm. Lala Ward's first produced story is Romana 2. As I said, the character was still written for Mary Tam, which also included the costume. So reportedly, Lala Ward really didn't like this at all and was trying to push her own interpretation of Romana 2 while suffering the confines of the script that was already agreed upon and greenlit. It's been reported in a few places that as Tom Baker's popularity had grown, so had his wishes to have more say and more control over issues on set, which resulted in Douglas Adams often needing to moderate between Barry and Baker. The design of Arato, who is the, uh, well, he's not really the villain, but I guess he's the monster, the creature, was nothing but trouble from the get-go. Upon seeing it in action, Graham Williams himself called it a giant syphilitic phallus which caused so much laughter on set that Williams had to reprimand them. (laughs) So right away, you can almost imagine what this creature looks like. Got to give it to Tom Baker because, boy, he had to do a few things that just you can't can't imagine anyone being able to do with a straight face. At first, Christopher Berry blamed the problems of the creature on the FX artists, but then later on shifted the blame more towards the producer and writer of the story for having it there in the first place. There was absolutely no time or money to redo anything with Arato's design. They hastily added some additional appendages, which only makes you think about what the first version of this creature actually looked like. Christopher Berry himself had directed a lot of stories in Doctor Who, starting from The Daleks with William Hartnell, and doing one or two stories with each Doctor up to Tom Baker. However, with all of these issues hitting at once, he felt that this was the lowest point in his career with Doctor Who, and he left the show after this story, never to direct again. Well, never to direct again for Doctor Who. Uh, So speaking of the cast, we've got Myra Francis as Lady Adrasta, who also had a recurring role on a drama series called Survivors. Then we had Eileen Way as Corella, who was also in An Unearthly Child, Doctor Who's first episode, or Doctor Who's first story, sorry, and The Dalek Invasion of Earth, among a host of other TV and film roles. Jeffrey Bailden, who played Organon, was also in a host of TV and movies, including a bunch of Hammer Horror films. Morris Berry, who played Tolland, was also a director, and he had done a few of Patrick Troughton's stories, including The Moon Base, The Tomb of the Cybermen, and The Dominators. Terry Walsh played Engineer Doran, who was also a unit soldier stuntman for many of John Pertwee's era of stories, 
as well as a, cu a couple of Tom Baker ones. John Bryans was playing Torvin, who was also known as Burkle in the first two seasons of Blake Seven. He had a uh, recurring character role there. Okay, well, after all that, let's get into the synopsis. Doctor! Ah! <laughs> you know how it is when you get an itch. <laughs> Perhaps I can be of help. No, 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 thank you. There's no itch anymore. Do let me take that thing off. I so like my guests to feel comfortable. Yes. It was a bit incommodious. It doesn't seem to have incommoded you too much, Doctor. I suppose you could say the yoke's on him if you were the sort of person who said that sort of thing, which fortunately I'm not. You must be the lady addressed her. And you're the fellow who was found in the place of death. Yes! Do you know, I'll tell you something fascinating about that. Anyone found there is put to death. Oh, you knew. Okay, episode one. We see some guards leading some poor prisoner to a hole in a jungle area. Picture like a really thick jungle sort of layout with just a regular looking pit right in the middle of this clearing. Lady Adrasta is the leader of this group with the older Corella as her chief sidekick. They throw the crying prisoner down into the hole. Cut to the TARDIS. The doctor is reading a book with K9 while Ramana is trying to clean out some storage. She goes through some junk the doctor doesn't want to get rid of and comes across an emergency transceiver piece that is actually part of the TARDIS. The doctor claims it doesn't work, but K9 assures her it does. The doctor finally admits that he got rid of it because of constant harassment from the Time Lords on Gallifrey to run errands for them. So Romana plugs it into the TARDIS console, and as you would probably have guessed, it immediately activates and throws the TARDIS around in a bit of a, a wiggle. I don't know what to call it. The TARDIS lands, and the doctor looks around via their scanner. And he sees that they are in a jungle next to a structure. Curious what it is, him and Romana go out to investigate. After some poking around, the doctor theorizes that the structure is an, is pieces of a eggshell that is semi-metallic. So picture like a, a giant like half egg uh, just sitting in the jungle. The doctor puts his hand on it and realizes the shell is actually alive despite Romana's protests. And then the doctor and Romana hear the same pulsing noise that they had briefly heard through the emergency transceiver in the TARDIS. So the noise seems to be coming from the leftover pieces of eggshell. But unbeknownst to the doctor, creeping up, creeping up behind him through the jungle are these balls of green, which... They're called wolfweeds in this story, but I mean, just imagine giant balls of green, <laughs> balls of weeds. I don't know. Maybe that's, they're, they're kind of used like hunting dogs, but instead of dogs, they're just balls of green and they don't bark. Obviously they just roll. Uh, the doctor starts theorizing that the material of the shell is more woven in its construction and is likely the thing that's transmitting the signal that they picked up. Uh, this, the doctor is suddenly surrounded and brought to the ground by the wolf weeds that overtake him. He calls out to Romana, but there's no answer. The huntsman enters this, the clearing and cracks his whip, causing the wolf weeds to get off the doctor, allowing him to stand up. 
The guards are just about to kill the doctor when Corella shows up, ordering them to keep the doctor alive. She asks why the doctor is in the place of death. Anyone found there is put to death. She says the doctor's commander admits the blue box is theirs, who actually turns out to be Romana. She just smiles and shrugs at the doctor. They put the doctor in chains and take him and Romana to see Lady Adrasta. As their small convoy is making their way through the jungle, the whole group are jumped by some bandits and a fight with the guards breaks out. The doctor knocks a few of them out, but they end up kidnapping Romana. The bandits take off, leaving the rest of the group and the doctor to head back to Adrasta. We cut over to the bandit camp where the leader Torvin is hovering over his horde of small bits of metal junk. Uh, picture a table with various metal bowls and cutlery cups, but I mean, like they're all like very dented small bits of metal. The androids are all dressed, or not androids, the bandits are all dressed in animal-like skins, so they, they really stand out from Adrasta's guards. We don't see any other animal, so it's kind of curious where these all these animal skins came from, but whatever. They're arguing what to do with Romana. Torvin wants to kill her, thinking that she's a lady-in-waiting for Adrasta, but a few of the others want her to live. The group pressure Torvin into taking a vote. Meanwhile, the doctor enters Adrasta's palace. He fakes an itchy nose to distract the guards enough to knock him out and is about to leave when Lady Adrasta enters. She ends up taking off his um, his yoke arm head, head piece that he was kind of put prisoner in. Adrasta reveals that they're on the planet Chloris and asks the doctor what he thinks of the object in the place of death. He's full of theories, but he's worried about Romana. Adrasta agrees to send some guards to find the, ba the bandits and bring Romana back. Meanwhile, back at the bandit camp, they've tied Romana up and are about to take a vote on whether to kill her or spare her life. The group vote to kill her, but Romana manages to talk them out of it. She's obviously, you know, way smarter than the bandits. But uh, at first, she tries not to be too mean about it. But as she keeps talking to them, like she's insulting them a little bit more and more uh, every time. She convinces all of the bandits to sit down around her, much to the anguish of Torvin. And she pulls out Canine's whistle, which is like a really small piece of metal, when the bandits get excited and grab it from her. She tricks them into blowing it for her, which of course... It doesn't work for them because it, it emits like a, you know, high frequency sound that they, they can't hear. But K9 picks it up from the TARDIS and he exits, starting to look for Romana. So back at the palace, Lady Adrasta is pretty anxious to talk to the doctor more about his theories on the shell. But he's interested in a, it looks like a shield. I'm, I'm calling it a shield. It looks like a shield ornament that's hanging on the wall behind Adrasta. I don't know how else to describe it easily enough, but it's it looks like a shield to me. Anyways, she mentions that the shell appeared about 15 years ago. So the doctor says that the shell is screaming for someone or something on a much lower frequency. She clicks her fingers and some engineers appear from behind a curtain laughing about the doctor's theories. 
Eventually, Adrasta gets tired of him, and she snaps her fingers. One of the engineers is taken prisoner, and they lead him away. But Adrasta knows that the doctor is hiding some more theories about the egg, so she brings him along. They're heading to that pit that we saw at the beginning of the story. Back at the bandit camp, K-9 shows up, and all the bandits marvel at how metallic he is, like they just go nuts for him. Romana and K-9 walk out of the camp, but not before K-9 stuns Torvin, who falls down in probably the worst acted collapse. It's, I mean, it looks really terrible. He must have been standing somewhere different when they were rehearsing the scene, and then when he, when they did the recording, he turned around and realized he wasn't on his mark and kind of shifted himself over mid-fall in order to fall in a particular spot. So Ramana and K-9 head out looking for the doctor. Adrasta, the guards, the engineer, and the doctor get to the pit and they encircle it, the whole group encircle it. They throw the begging engineer Doran into the pit. He hits the bottom and all we see is something very green coming up to him, like a green reflection in his face. Romana shows up with K-9, who manages to stun one of the guards, but then the wolfweeds overpower K-9, and they really surround him easily. I mean, it's... Uh, Adrasta laughs that she's captured everyone, but then the doctor looks around, winks at Romana, and then jumps right into the pit. And that's the cliffhanger for episode one. Pretty good cliffhanger, I thought. Romana begs Adrasta to save the doctor, but she refuses. And uh, from here, from his position, we can clearly hear Romana and Adrasta talking. So he's not too far down. He's digging through his coat and he manages to, to find a few of those carabiners that rock climbers use. And he's trying quietly to bang them into the rock. It's kind of weird. Like, it's not really clear if, you know, like the, it makes a really loud tink tink sound when he's hitting it, hitting them with the hammer. And he can't really tell if lady adrasta is supposed to hear hear them or not um we'll see I'll, we'll get to shortly what she ends up doing but it's sort of really hard to tell whether she's supposed to hear the doctor or not k9 is covered in webbing from the wolf weeds and can't move so romana has to carry him and they all leave together uh as they're going adrasta looks into the pit and kicks some dirt down towards the doctor see that's what i mean like it's hard to tell if she's supposed to be able to see him or whether she just kicks dirt down in there to uh, punctuate her last words. But the little bits of dirt hit him in the face and he knocks him off balance and he falls down to the bottom of the pit. The doctor whispers for engineer Doran and he crawls around and finds him dead. The doctor then starts hearing a growling that's not too far away. Back at the palace, Romana is asking Adrasta what is in the pit. Adrasta says they call it the creature. I mean, the names in this story are hilarious. The place of death, the creature. Uh, Romana tries to inquire where it came from and if it's a native of the planet, but Adrasta shuts her down. They do a little bit of verbal exchange and it becomes pretty clear that while Adrasta doesn't have the same intellect as Romana, she's a lot more shrewder. Romana wants to know why everyone is so interested in the shell, but Adrasta warns her that such comments lead to death. In mid-sentence, Adrasta slaps Romana on the face, which is a pretty big slap. Romana, which pretty much removes all of the bravado from Romana. The guards bring in K9 in on a stretcher, and Adrasta explains how precious any metal is on the planet, so she orders them to break K9 up. 
the doctor explores much more of the pit area going through some small tunnels. He spots a, again, we just see green, like bright green reflections all around him. And so he ducks into another side tunnel. So keeping in mind what I mentioned during the intro, I can't really describe what the creature looks like without a bunch of bleeps in this podcast, but just I'm sure the first description that you that you heard me say is good enough. You can, it, if you want, Google a photo of it. It's safe for work, but Google a photo of it, and you'll be able to see right away what everyone is kind of talking about. Anyways, the the tip of the monster is poking around for the doctor. He runs into an old man, Organon, who motions for him to be silent. Back at the palace, Romana begs the guards who are hammering on K-9 to stop and agrees all of Adrasta's questions. Romana plays for time by convincing Adrasta that K-9 knows everything the doctor knows, but only she can talk to K-9. The old man leads the doctor down a side tunnel to a safe spot for them to talk. He's Organon, which I just said, and he used to be Adrasta's astrologer. He predicted to Adrasta that she would be visited by a creature from beyond the stars. Which, the way he tells this story to the doctor, he means it as more of a joke, you know, like a, a, a show than anything serious, but it turned out to be accurate. So when Adrasta tried to get more information out of Organon, she got she grew tired of him and threw him into the pit. He's pleasantly surprised to discover that the doctor is, in fact, from beyond the stars, but he doesn't know how long he's been down there. Meanwhile, back at the bandit camp, Torvin recovers and he's worried that Romana will lead Adrasta's guards back to their camp. So he comes up with a plan that while Adrasta's guards are busy stripping their camp of all their metal, they won't be guarding the palace, which leaves it wide open for the bandits to loot themselves. Organon is explaining to the doctor that the pit used to be a mine for metal and re-emphasizes how precious metal is on the planet. He explains that since Adrasta owns the only metal mine, which happens to be that one, then she has a monopoly of the planet's metal, making her the richest person on Chloris. She depends on the shortage of metal, which gives her all the power. Romana finishes peeling the webbing off of K9 while whispering for him to be ready to stun more guards. Adra- but Adrasta has a plan for Romana and K9. Tip of the creature is getting closer to finding Organon and the doctor. Organon grabs a nearby candle and holds it close to the creature who then recoils away in pain. The creature leaves in a hurry. Organon is relieved, but the doctor is curious that the creature looked to have skin resembling a cerebral membrane, similar to the tissue surrounding the human brain. He has more questions about the creature, so the doctor and Organon leave to follow follow it. While tracking the creature down, the doctor is really curious how it got into the pit and what it's doing here. Back at the palace, Adrasta interrogates K9 about the TARDIS and is satisfied that she'll have a monopoly of metal. Her and Corella plan to take K9 into the pit from the throne room to find the doctor, assuming he survived. Adrasta wants to use K9 to kill the creature. They untie Romana and they form a procession to enter the pit. There's a little bit of back and forth here as we cut between Doctor, the Doctor and Organon and Adrasta's group. They're all going through tunnels and side tunnels and eventually 
more or less discover the the giant room that the creature is in at the same time, just from different sides of the room. The doctor walks towards the creature in a gesture of peace or goodwill, you know, basically holding his hands up and giving it a friendly hello. And the membrane piece of the creature overtakes the doctor, knocking him to the ground, like kind of smothering him. And that's the cliffhanger for episode two. Episode three. Organon begs the guards to help the doctor, but they rush back into a side tunnel. There's a buzzing sound by the creature, and it spins a barrier which blocks the tunnel that Organon and the guards went into. It looks very, very similar to the shield thing that's hanging in Adras's throne room, by the way, like the same type of material. Organon and the guards work at trying to break it down, but it's pretty futile. It's really strong. The doctor gets up on the other side, and he knocks on the door a few times just to let Organon know that he's still alive. While Organon and the guards keep trying to break through the shell door from their side, the doctor goes off to escape, or explore, sorry, not escape. Meanwhile, the bandits have made it to the palace and are quietly killing all the guards to get get inside. One of the guards that was with Organon makes it back to Adrasta and tells her about the doctor. Adrasta hopes the canine has enough power to blast through it. Meanwhile, while the doctor is looking around, he finds small bits of pure metal that aren't from the planet, wondering how they got there, and he puts them in his pocket. He hears the creature close by, and he moves closer, trying to talk to it. The creature moves closer to him, but is staying still while the doctor is trying to communicate with it. He praises the creature's green skin, which reminds him of chlorophyll. And then he makes a joke, if, you know, if the creature is looking for chlorophyll, then he's come to the right place. The creature starts nodding at the mention of chlorophyll, getting excited, nodding, which then gets the doctor more excited. They still can't communicate with each other. The creature lets the doctor come closer, so the doctor is trying to ask the creature how to communicate with it. There's some back and forth between the two of them, and finally the creature uses one of its appendages to point at a wall and it draws a picture of the shield thing, the, the thing that's hanging behind Adrasta's palace. The doctor recognizes it right away. Uh, uh, speaking of the shield thing, back in the palace, a guard that is left there pacing in front of it, and we now see that the shield is has come alive a little bit. There's like a sparkling blue lights that are going around the outside of the shield. Just then, the bandits sneak into the room and kill the guard. They start looting the room, they're laughing, they're grabbing all of the little cups and saucers and little bits of metal that they can. But they know Torvin and another one notice the shield thing glowing, and so they move over to grab it. Uh, and then as soon as they lift it off the wall, another bandit shouts that more guards are coming, basically the reinforcements. So they quickly run out of the room that leads into the pit, bringing the shield thing with them. The doctor is trying to find out from the creature what what the thing is and how much can he trust the creature well that part he's he's kind of muttering to himself he then agrees to get the thing for the creature and he turns to leave but on his way out he finds a few bits of shell lying around on the ground while he's inspecting him the creature moves menacingly towards him so the doctor tries to calm it down showing the creature that he's putting back the pieces of shell that he was looking at the blobby creature lets him go 
but we see that as the doctor's walking away, he's trailing a scarf behind him and he had a few pieces of the shell on left on the scarf that the creature doesn't notice. Meanwhile, Romana, K-9, and Adrasta's group finally make it to the shell door. K-9 tries to blast through the door, but it doesn't do much. Torvin and the bandits make their way into the pit and take a rest stop. While Torvin is starting to inspect the shield thing, it comes to life again in a blue light, and it hypnotizes him and another bandit. They pick up the shield and they start carrying it away, heading towards Adrasta's group. K-9 gives up, telling Romana and Adrasta that the shield material is self-renewing. So as he's trying to break it down, it's renewing itself, growing even stronger. So Adrasta starts yelling at K-9 about what an idiot dog he is, when suddenly the doctor bursts through the other side with a simple, hello everybody. The look of surprise on Adrasta's face is really great. It was a really great scene. They, they staged it really well, and the pacing works. Uh, the doctor makes a joke about asking the creature nicely to let him through the door, but then Adrasta starts to make a comment that the creature cannot talk without the communicator. So she knows more than she's saying. Ooh, the doctor wants to know what Adrasta is hiding, but she restrains the doctor. Uh, there's some more back and forth between Adrasta and the doctor until finally Adrasta lets it slip that the creature is a Tythonian. The doctor, the doctor is figuring out that Adrasta is the, the one that trapped the creature down in the pit. There's a small fight as the doctor, K-9, and Romana stun all the guards. Like, Romana's holding K-9, and so K-9 can fire the, the stun ray from his mouth. So she's, Romana's swiveling him around, you know, aiming him at all the guards. Anyways... Adrasta tries to run away, but the creature comes into the room. The doctor grabs Adrasta and holds her while the creature comes closer, convinced it's going to eat her. But the doctor points out that she knows exactly what the creature does eat, and that she's been starving it. Adrasta pulls out a knife and, he, and is holding it to the doctor's throat when Torvin and the other bandit enter the room carrying the shield communicator. It's glowing like crazy and they bring it over to the creature and like plop it on the side. It's, I mean, it, it works, but it looks, it's like a giant blob with like a, holding a shield. Anyways, while they're doing this, Adrasta is screaming, no, no, at the top of her lungs. It's a really great scene. And that is the cliffhanger of episode three. Doctor. Yes. That shell. Yes. When we first landed, it was making a noise. Yes. Could it have been a distress signal? Perhaps it was calling for help. Yes. But after 15 years... Tythonians live for up to 40,000 years, mistress. So, 15 years in the pit for one of them would be no more than the wink of an eye. Yes. Doctor, I'm sure there's some terrible danger. Danger? Yes. And Arato wants to be out of the pit and free to escape in his craft before something dreadful happens. Yes. Doctor, you've played right into his hands. You've let him go. Yes. Well, can't you say anything but yes the whole time? Yes. After he's told us whatever it is. Yes. And before he reaches his space vehicle to escape. Yes. Do remind me to give him back his photon drive. Yes. Yes. Episode four. 
as soon as the shield becomes attached to the blob, uh, Torvin and the other bandit become aware of where they are and they, they see Adrasta and they freak out and they run away. <laughs> it's pretty good. Meanwhile, the doctor grabs Adrasta's wrist and pulls her to the wall to be guarded by K9. The doctor touches the shield thing and then we hear the creature saying hello in Tom Baker's own voice. Apparently, it takes them a little bit of time to figure this out, but the communicator takes control of your larynx so that you're using your own voice while you're while you're touching it. Or it's using your own larynx while you're touching it. So they find out his name is Arato. He's a Tythonian high ambassador, and he eats chlorophyll. He was on a trading mission to the planet due to its high level of chlorophyll in order to strike a trade deal with them. And so Adrasta's men catch up to them, but there's a small coup d'etat as the huntsman wants to hear what Arado has to say against the orders of Adrasta. The doctor puts everything together. Arado came 15 years ago from Tythonian, which is a planet rich in metals, to strike a trading deal with Chloris that had an abundance of plant life. They figured that it would be a mutually beneficial trade, but what they didn't encounter was that the first person he would encounter? What they didn't encounter is that the first person he came across happened to be Adrasta, who had a monopoly on metal. Seeing that her monopoly was being threatened, Adrasta tricked the creature into the pit where it's been stuck for 15 years. The doctor is about to grab the communicator to get the truth from Murado, but then Adrasta points out that he can just say whatever he wants to. So he, he says, All right. And he grabs Adrasta's hand and forces her to put it on the communicator herself so that they'll hear the truth from her own voice. And basically, Arato agrees with everything the doctor said and then takes revenge by smothering Adrasta, killing her. In the confusion, Corella sneaks away. Arato kills Adrasta along with all the wolfweeds from the huntsman. He thanks the doctor for the wolfweeds, which was his first solid meal in 15 years. The Huntsman is pleased that they can now move his people out of the Dark Ages with the help of Arado. Because, of course, you know, with metal, they can create tools, tools to clean, clear out all the jungle that's on Chloris, and they can properly grow other crops, and etc. The Doctor asks the Huntsman for help in getting Arato out of the pit, but he's not yet convinced that everything is over. He's got a sneaking suspicion. So in the next scene, they're all back in the throne room with the doctor still worried that something isn't feeling right. Him and Romana go back and forth about the fact that Arado flew there in the egg that they had found, which is a simple spacecraft with a photon drive. Romana becomes excited that perhaps the noise they were hearing from the egg was in fact a distress signal, which the doctor agrees with. Turns out that when the doctor took some of the shell pieces on his scarf, they were in fact pieces of the photon drive that Arado will need to leave the planet. He wants to use it as a bargaining chip to make sure that Arado comes up with a proper trading agreement, but he's also telling the, the full story because he, he thinks something is still missing. The bandits are listening nearby and they realize that if this trade goes through, then all the metal they have will be worthless. The one bandit points out that the doctor has the one piece of the creature's spaceship that it needs to leave, which makes it very valuable, but Torvin wants to leave while they still can, so the group sneak out. 
but they go past Corella, who is hiding in plain sight. I mean, it's they really couldn't do it any other way with the way the, the set was staged and, and everything. But I mean, she's hi, hiding, quote unquote, hiding right behind a fountain. Like, a, just imagine like a normal fountain statue type of thing. And she's basically hiding right behind it. Um, really obvious that she's standing there. At any rate, uh, the huntsman comes in to tell the doctor that Arado is out of the pit and waiting by the door to talk. So the doctor gives the photon drive piece to Organon and makes him swear to guard it with his life until he finds out what's going on. Ramana, the huntsman, and the doctor walk over to the door where Arado is waiting and Ramana grabs the communicator. Arado confesses that they only have 24 hours to live. When he failed to report back to his people, they sent a neutron star to Chloris' son. It should reach it within 24 hours. The star I refer to is a neutron star. A neutron star? A neutron star? Neutron star? Collapsed star, composed of supercompressed degenerate matter. I know what a neutron star is. And the course on which it is set will plunge it into the heart of Chloris' son within 24 hours. Is that bad, Doctor? Bad? Chloris' son will explode and your whole solar system will be destroyed? Is that bad? I mean, it's a really great delivery, but the line is still wasted on the Huntsman because he doesn't understand what it means anyways. So he he can't tell that it's how sarcastic uh, Tom Baker is. Meanwhile, Organon is poring over some astrology charts that the Huntsman gave him and muttering that things are looking very bad. And as he's staring at a particularly bad spot, he falls over as he's hit on the head from behind. Back at the, at the front door, the huntsman exclaims that there must be something they can do. Arado confesses that it's time for him to leave and that it will only take him an hour to spin up a new egg ship. The doctor asks Arado if he can spin aluminium, which Arado can. So the doctor is coming up with a plan. Meanwhile, the bandits are making their way back to their camp with their hall, and they're laughing with glee. They figure they've got everything made but they don't realize that Corella is following them from behind. The doctor has some printouts from K9 and tells them that a thin shell of aluminium around a neutron star will let them divert it enough to miss the sun. At first, Arado refuses to help, but then the doctor convinces them to do it in the name of peace and trade relations with Chloris. The doctor tells Romana to get the photon drive from Organon when she discovers that he's been knocked out and the drive stolen. At the bandit camp, they're going through their hall when Torvin is stabbed from behind by Corella, who reveals that she stole the photon drive and is hiding it. She tells them that all their metal is useless if the piece of shell is returned to Arato, but needs their help to preserve the monopoly of metal to control the planet. The doctor bursts in with Romana, K9, and the huntsmen who subdue her. She refuses to give up the photon drive, so K9 blasts all of the metal that the bandits have. Seeing that all of the metal is destroyed, she basically resigns herself and gives up the photon drive. Back in the TARDIS, K9 is hooked up to Arado's communicator that they've got kind of balanced on a chair, while Romana and the doctor are at the controls. The TARDIS, the plan is, is that the TARDIS will use a gravity beam 
to slow down the neutron star, which should give Arido enough chance to spin the aluminium web around it. Uh, but they can't. They find out that they can't hold the gravity beam for more than five seconds at a time. So Arado quickly gets himself into trouble as he gets pulled towards the neutron star. The doctor activates the gravity beam long enough for Arado to start weaving the shell, but it's taking a real heavy strain on the TARDIS. Just as Arado finishes spinning the web, the control for the gravity beam explodes. The doctor can't switch it off. So him and Romana start panicking. They're pulling the neutron star towards them, directly towards them. So they, they do the only thing they can think of. They do an emergency dematerialization, which saves them from being destroyed. They materialize back in Chloris's throne room, where Organon and the Huntsmen are waiting. The doctor pops out to say hello and hands them the signed trade agreement from Arado. And that is the end of the creature from the pit. Uh, just some viewing numbers here. Episode 1 had 9.3 million. Episode 2 had 10.8 million. That was my birthday, November 3rd. Episode 3 was at 10.2 million views. And 9.6 million views for episode 4. So yeah, I thought it was a it was a really fun adventure to sit through and watch again. Uh, you can't take it too serious. Well, I don't want to say too seriously. Of course you can't because it's Doctor Who, but they, they play it straight, which is good. They don't, uh, there's not too much camping around. Um, uh, there was, you know, as we talked about in the, in, or as I talked about in the intro, there was many issues with the, the creature effects, but I guess there were also a lot of issues with the special effects used at the end where Arato was, uh, you know, the model shots of the TARDIS and and Erato trying to pull away the neutron star. So they also ran out of money to do anything with that. And so it, it kind of could have been done better, I suppose, but it's not, not terrible either. Uh, you can just, if you look close enough, you can see the, I mean, I think they've cleaned, they've managed to clean up some of the video a bit, but you can see some of the wires on the TARDIS from the model shots, etc. So... Um, but you know, an annoyance if you know it's there, uh, by the, by the production crew, I'm sure, but you know, not, not the end of the world. So yeah, like I mentioned when I was talking, I, you know, some things didn't make sense. Where did the bandits get all of their animal skins when there's no animals really on the planet? At least none that we could see. Everything was plant-based. Um, maybe they killed off the, the last group of animals around them. I don't know. Uh, but all in all, I thought it was a really good story. Certainly a good one to do for this podcast with the realization that one of the episodes fell on my birthday. And I think that's going to be it for this episode. I think I'm going to give it a three, a three out of five. I thought a lot of the lines were really good. The dialogue, the dialogue was pretty good for what they had to work with. I think you could kind of tell the influence of Adams on the script in a few of the places, which is perfectly fine. He makes it work. Uh, but, you know, there was just some, it, it, it was one of those stories where um, you could almost tell that, or you could almost see that the doctor figured it out back in episode one. 
And then he's kind of just playing through the rest of the story in order to gather up the rest of the evidence for the viewer. You know what I mean? It, it felt like that, you know, that he had solved it right away as soon as they landed, which he probably did. Uh, especially as you hear, you know, the planet's name is Chloris and the creature is pretty much a giant blob of green. The, the jokes were pretty good. Uh, the, the jokes that they did have. And yeah, I thought it was a good entry into season 17. So that's it for this episode. Be sure to share it with your friends. Hope you have a good day wherever you are in the world. And Colin and I will be back in the next episode of this podcast. And we'll talk to you then. Have a good one, everyone. Peace.